So we've been doing a series called Simple, and looking back at an amazing group of people who about 2,000 years ago became the very first church. And we started this series off by just making an acknowledgement that, that people's perception of church now is not even close to what it was like back then. I mean, back then there, were, there was no Bibles, there was no buildings, there was no banners, there was no bands. It was just a gathering of people on a mission. And this group of people rallied around this amazing teacher, an itinerant Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus. They followed him through his life, his teaching, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's what set it all apart. A lot of people have spent their whole life following a leader, but then when the leader dies, it's like, we're done, right? This group was different because Jesus did die, but then he came back to life again, which put them in a completely different category. The resurrection is a very, very, very big deal. Jesus comes back to life, and then he actually leaves. But before he leaves, he gives this people, group of people known as the church the mission. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God says go, and this group actually moves out. I mean, the movement actually moves. And the reality is this, because they moved, you're here today. If they hadn't moved, none of us would be inside of this room today. They start boldly sharing the story of Jesus, and they become known as the church, which was simply this. It was a gathering of people who became a movement consumed with the fulfilling the mission of God. The rallying point was a name. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They can't stop talking about the name. They say the name over and over and over again to the point where religious leaders start getting really, really nervous. Last or a couple of weeks ago, we heard a couple of lines from the very first sermon that was ever preached, and it was about the name. Peter stands up, proclaims the name of Jesus, and 3,000 people in one day get saved and baptized. That's a very good day, right? That's an awesome, amazing moment. Causes quite a stir in Jerusalem. So much so, Peter gets hauled up in front of the religious leaders, and given the opportunity, he preaches the name again. Acts 4.12, he says this, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The name, as we've stated over and over and over again, is Jesus Christ. And this gathering movement just won't stop saying it. They go to the point where they make this statement. They say, only the name of Jesus can save your eternal soul. Not the name of Caesar, not the name of Joseph Smith, not the name of Buddha, not the name of Muhammad. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And people didn't like it then, and they still don't like it now. Just lob the name of Jesus into the center of a conversation and watch what happens. People are comfortable with God. That's cool spiritual. That's my new favorite word, right? Very spiritual. But throw the name of Jesus into the center of a conversation and you will start to make people squirm. Even Christians will squirm. It's like, oh, God, tone it down, man. Just don't talk about that name too much. You're going to make people uncomfortable. Not much has changed because the leaders back then, they tell the church to basically stop speaking the name or else. Cut it out or there will be ramifications, and the church had a choice. We could turn it down and play it safe, or we could turn it up and take a risk. We learned that they decided to pray a bold prayer in response to the demand that they not say the name. And two weeks ago, we said that prayer out loud, together as a church, twice to make sure we got it. If you don't remember it, here it is. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this. They get told to turn it down and they pray for boldness, not personal safety, not protection, not four more days of sunshine and a brand new car. That's not what they pray for. They pray for boldness and they just keep talking about the name. Well, here's what's amazing. God answers the prayer. Every day, people keep getting saved. Every day, people keep getting healed. And there's more and more attention coming around this movement that became known as the church. And as more and more attention comes, so does more tension. Because the religious leaders are not happy about this, so this is what they decide to do. Let's just throw the ringleaders in jail. So they do. They throw the apostles in jail. Acts chapter 5, God breaks them out in the middle of the night. It's an amazing story. You should read it for yourself. They get out of jail, and this is what they do. They go right back to the center of town and they start talking about the name again. You just can't get these guys to be quiet. So they get rounded up again. And because of their boldness, this is the result. Okay, don't want to freak you out. That was all introduction. Now we're picking up the story where we left, okay? I promise you'll still make the Seahawks game, all right? Acts 5. The Bible says the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. I mean, it's not in the context right there, but I'm sure Peter at this point was going, what do you mean trying to make you guilty? You are. Just a couple of months ago, you crucified this guy. Like, did you forget? I'm not telling you you're guilty of his blood. You are guilty of his blood. So let's not play any games. Bible goes on. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. I like that statement. When it comes down to a choice between pleasing God and pleasing people, Peter says, we must obey God rather than human beings. He goes on. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. He says the name. Not playing any games. He said, Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Here's what's amazing to me. Peter gets hauled up in front of the very people who killed Jesus and he starts preaching the name. That's scary because they could have killed him too. Wouldn't take much. And he goes, it's a choice between obeying you and obeying God. And let me think about it for a second. I choose God. I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to do. Now, what does that mean for us in the 21st century? Okay, prepare for it to get very, very quiet in here because this is what it means to us. Every time you have an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus and you stay quiet in order to make people happy, you are making a conscious decision to disobey God. And my Bible has a word for that, and the word is sin. Every time you can say the name and you don't, you're guilty of sinning. It's a scary thing, isn't it? I love the fact that the church made the right choice. I love Peter says the name that these guys won't even say out loud. The God of our answers raised Jesus from the dead. The Jesus you killed on a cross, he came back and we are witnesses to the truth. Man, I bet it got really, really quiet 
And here's what happens. One of the bad guys actually stands up. So all the way through the Bible, there's this group of guys called the Pharisees. They're kind of the perennial bad guys of the New Testament. One of the respectable bad guys, a guy by the name of Gamaliel, he stands up and he goes, okay, can we just stop for a second? Time out. Okay, all you, all you apostle guys, you go out for a second. I want to talk to my own little group here. So the apostles disappear. Gamaliel stands up and goes, okay, guys, I just need to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Do you, you remember a guy by the name of Thutis? Okay, we don't know anything about Thutis outside of this biblical comment, okay? There's nowhere else in history you find him, but this is what Gamaliel says. You remember a guy named Thutis? Well, he rallied a group of like 400 people around him and created this big stir in Jerusalem, and then he died, and it was done. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that, Thutis, yeah. He's like, that's been a long time, man. Because do you remember a guy named Judas the Galilean? Now, Judas the Galilean, we actually know about. 6 AD, Judas the Galilean led a, led a tax revolt. It was so big, the Roman Empire had to come in and squash it. It's a big deal. They said, you remember Judas the Galilean? Judas the Galilean, actually, when he died, his group split into two different groups. One of the groups that they morphed into was a group known as the Zealots. And if you read your New Testament, you'll find out that one of the followers of Jesus has a name, and his name is Simon the Zealot. So a former follower of Judas the Galilean, whose leader died, switches teams, starts following Jesus. Jesus dies, comes back to life again. That's an upgrade for Simon the Zealot right there, okay? That's a good thing right there. Because you remember Judas the Galilean? Yeah, he caused this big stir, and then eventually it just went away. He says, guys, don't forget history. If this is just a little thing, it's just going to disappear. Don't make a big deal over it. Just let it go. He makes this plea. This is the advice of Gamaliel from Acts chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. If their purpose or activities of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If this is a man thing, it'll disappear in no time. But if it's a God thing, this is not a fight you want to pick. Just don't even go there. Years ago, I had the privilege of meeting the great preacher, Dr. E.V. Hill. Dr. Hill was the pastor of uh, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. I believe the best preacher that I've ever heard in my lifetime. Dr. Hill was an amazing guy. He was like a 747. He'd sit at the end of the runway for a really long time and let the plane rumble. But when he pushed the throttle forward, you knew you were being preached to. He would exfoliate you for free. You would lose skin off your face when he got fired up. And he was a small little man, but he was just on his game. And I had an opportunity to speak to him one time. He said, Dr. Hill, you've been a pastor in this church for a really, 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 really long time. How did you last? How do you handle the ups and the downs, the criticism that comes with being a pastor, the opinions from all these different people? How do you, how do you make it last? What do I need to know as a young pastor? I will never forget him. Sitting behind his big desk, he pulled his glasses down on the end of his nose, kind of shook his head back and forth, and his chin kind of wobbled with him, you know? And this is exactly what he said. Young man, young man, young man, young man, this one thing I know, 
If it's of God, it'll last. If it's of man, it'll pass. I'm like, okay. Okay. That's what Gamaliel's saying. If this is a man thing, it's gone. If it's a God thing, you can't stop it. Don't pick that fight. Here's what's amazing. They actually listen to him. Make the decision not to kill the apostles. But that doesn't mean there was no price for being bold. This is the price of being bold. Acts 5.40 says this. His speech persuaded them. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As American Christians, we just blow through that like it's nothing. You know what flogging is? Flogging is when they take you, rip your shirt off your back, take a leather whip with nine lengths of leather on it, wrap bone and metal and steel inside of it, put you over top of a stone column and use the whip to rip off the skin off your back and your stomach. Most people never survive flogging. And we just blow right through that for the rest of their lives. Every time they took their shirt off to go swimming or to bathe, if anyone saw them, it'd be like, wow. You've been marked for the rest of your life because you dared speak that name. You know, I just tried to put myself in the situation of it. If they, took, if they took the pastors of Christ the King and they lined us all up in the center of town and made us listen to each other's screams, just put us all in a line. Okay, Brian McSwan, you're first. And the rest of you, you just listen to him while we flay him open. Derek Archer, you're next. Terry Golden, you're next. Denny Starbuck, you're next. Melanie Kemp, you're next. Mike Honholtz, you're next. Mark Warren, you're next. Rich Warner, you're next. And we spent all day listening to the screams of our friend. And then they came to me and said, in Fishbook, you're last. I'll tell you what, if the resurrection was not true, that's the moment I would have been screaming. Big mistake, big misunderstanding. We hid the body, whatever it happened to be, but they didn't. They wouldn't lie because it was true. Here's what kills me. These guys are being flogged for saying the name of Jesus. We don't say it because somebody might give us a funny look. We don't say it because somebody might make fun of us. I mean, I've just been offending people all weekend long, so let's just keep the roll going. I'm just going to say it out loud, okay? We're cowards. We just are. Given the opportunity between speaking up and being quiet, we choose be quiet most of the time because we don't want to offend anybody. This is what's amazing to me. So these guys spend the day being brutalized for saying the name of Jesus, and this is the result. Acts 5, verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They just keep being bold. This is so foreign to us because we live in the safest part of the safest country on the face of God's green earth. I mean, I know for a fact, if you went outside today and stood on a street corner and said the name of Jesus, I can almost 100% guarantee you, you will not be flogged. In fact, you probably won't even get your taxes raised. 
But we're absolutely terrified of this. Let me introduce you to a group of guys that are actually your family, your brothers and sisters. This is the latest group of pastors in India who have been just ordained as ministers of Christ the King Community Church. The guy up in the left corner sitting at the desk with the microphone, that's Pastor Yadija Parker. These are his words. Grant, it's not a question of if these men will be beaten and killed for saying the name of Jesus. It's just a question of when. Not an if, a when. I'm not saying that to embarrass anybody. I'm saying it because it's true. We are so bold to a point. We talk a big game about being bold, but when it comes right down to it, it's like, ah, it's scary. You want to see a picture of bold? I found this iconic photograph. See the dude in front of the tank? That's bold. Now, let's just be honest. We're not even close to that. We're not even relatively close. So let's talk about some just simple decisions that we could make about boldness in the 21st century that would make a difference, okay? These are the baby steps. Number one, speak up. Let me put it another way. Say something when you want to say nothing. I mean, here's just an easy way to start. Start saying the name out loud. Put Jesus into a conversation. Don't be a freak about it. Just speak the name. Just speak up. There's a guy from our church named Garrett Viss. Garris, Garrett has this simple philosophy. Say the name of Jesus and good things happen. That's his philosophy. Garrett just got back from a trip. He rode his motorcycle up to Alaska, riding down the side of the road, and a lady who's riding a pedal bike from South America to Alaska, try to wrap your head around that, a pedal bike, is broken down, stranded on the side of the road. And guess who God puts right in her way to speak the name of Jesus to her? Garrett. You know why? Because Garrett's bold. He talks about Jesus all the time. I can't get a word in edgewise when I'm talking with Garrett. Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's awesome. He just made the decision a long time ago. I'm going to speak up. I do this crazy little thing in, in coffee shops where... If somebody's standing behind me, I'll turn around and I'll say, hey, I'll do you a favor. I'll, you know, uh, I'll buy your coffee if you answer a question. I actually had to stop doing it because uh, a group of Christians totally messed with my game, all right? I had people from Christ the King butting in line to get behind me at, at Starbucks. I'm like, do you not think I know who you are? Seriously. It's like, excuse me, I just got you in a hurry here. You know, like, rat. You know, I remember one time I walked, into, I walked into one of the wood stores and I'm standing there in line and I turn around and look and there's like nine people staring at me. That's subtle. Thank you very much. Like he's, I wonder if he's going to do that thing, like with the question. I stopped doing it for a while. I'm just like, I'm going to go find a different, I got to go find a different angle. But I will never forget one morning. I'm standing in line and there's a middle-aged guy standing behind me and I turn around and I just said, hey, I'll buy your coffee if you answer a question. He said, what's the question? I said, what are you drinking? So he gave me his coffee order, and then I asked him this question, because I'd been preaching about heaven. I said, what do you think about heaven? He got totally pale, blood drained from his face. Why are you asking me that? It's just a question. Said, I was just diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. So we took our coffee, slipped off to the side. I'd love to tell you, you know, we had, a, we had a Billy Graham moment there, and he accepted Jesus. I got to talk with him for about three minutes. But I got to say a name. 
Not my name, not your name. The only name that could bring a man peace when you've just been told you've got stage four terminal cancer. Never seen him since. And I just speak up. Speak up. Number two, speak in. Speak into a friendship. Speak into somebody's pain. Speak into a moment. Sometimes you've got to take an opportunity. 11.45, i got a job for you. Before you just bolt out of here at church every single week, I want you to do me a favor. Would you, before you leave the room, kind of scan the room and see whether or not anybody's got tears running down their face? Because maybe that's your clue that you need to speak the name of Jesus into that situation. Don't go looking for a pastor. Hey, pastor, we got a crier over here. No. It's probably me, you know. That's a... God put you there. Speak into the situation. Derek and Christina Archer are two of my favorite people because of how they take opportunities to invite people. Derek and Christina have a simple formula in having people come to Jesus. In fact, it's so simple, they don't even know it themselves. They were here at the 10 o'clock. I said it to them, and they're like, oh, really? That's how we do it? Yeah. This is Derek and Christina's strategy, okay? It's really, really complex. Two steps. Don't be weird. Invite people to come to church. That's it. That's what they do. They're not weird, and they just invite people to come to church. I've lost track of the number of couples of Christ the King who are here because Derek and Christina aren't weird, and they ask somebody to church, and here's the craziest thing. I know some of you won't even have a box for this. They invited someone, and they came. Really? Yeah. You've heard me say it before. Recent poll, 75% of people said they would come to church if somebody would just be bold enough to invite them. Three out of four. 10 o'clock service. Guess who's in the tank again? Derek, baptizing one of his cheerleader's moms. They run a cheerleading company. She came to Jesus through her daughter. And Derek and her daughter baptized her. That's really good news, church. Just so you know, it's really, really good news. I know of real life people who came because of an invitation, met Jesus, got baptized, and here's the crazy thing. They're still here. Some of them have led somebody else to Jesus, and now they're getting in the tank. Speak into the opportunities God gives you. Number three, sometimes you've got to speak through. Sometimes you've got to create an opportunity. Sometimes you've got to make a way. So two years ago, a group of people from Ferndale decided that rather than wait for somebody else to win their community to Jesus, that they were actually going to go out and do it themselves. So every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., they come to church, live worship, in a school, in Ferndale. They watch me on a screen, not even live. Live worship, live kids programs. They go to church, they stare at a screen, and God is beginning to grow what's going on in Ferndale because somebody decided to create an opportunity. You've been given four normal places in your life where you can create opportunities. One's in your friendships. I mean, your friends already think you're a little off. If you're a Christian, tell them why. Just speak the name of Jesus. God's created things around you called groups. I don't care if you're in a small group or a group of two or three people. My question is this. Would you... Would you do the craziest thing and just open up that circle one more seat so that you could have somebody come in and you could speak the name of Jesus to? We're talking about gatherings. Tonight we're going to gather as a missions gathering to talk about how are we going to take the Great Commission seriously and go to the other side of the world and talk about this name, the name of Jesus. And finally, you're a part of the last one right now. We just call them celebrations. It's the weekend services. 
And you got an opportunity every week to be bold and to say, you know what? We got seats at the 1145. Always a place for you. We'd love for you to come. And I will make you a promise as your pastor. If you invite a friend here, I will speak the name of Jesus, but I will not embarrass them in any way, shape, or form, ever. We'll be honest, we'll be transparent, we'll talk about things that matter. We'll never apologize for the name of Jesus, but we're not going to do anything strange or weird that's going to make your friend go, why in the world did you do that to me? That's my promise to you every single week. Now, I know some of you are here and you're like kind of on that bubble. You're trying to figure out, you know, where Jesus fits in your life. and You're trying to figure out whether we're all nuts and stuff like that. I get it. I understand. And you're a little ticked at me right now because you're thinking to yourself, oh, you're actually encouraging these people to do the, the one thing that drives me nuts about Christians. You're trying to encourage them to say that name. I don't like it when they say the name. I just want them to be quiet and mind their own business and I'll find my own way. You're driving me nuts, Grant, because you're actually encouraging people to speak up and that's the one thing I can't stand about Christians. Here's the good news for you. Most of the people that I'm talking to will spend the rest of their life saying nothing. It's tragic, but it's true. Most Christians are going to buy the lie. I'm just going to walk the walk. I'm never, ever going to be bold and talk the talk. That whole lie about walking the walk, just so you know, is straight out of the pit of hell. I'm trying to turn this church into your worst nightmare. I'm trying to get the guy in the cubicle next to you that hasn't said a word, even though he's worked beside you for 12 years, to actually open up his mouth and speak the name of Jesus. Because that's what the first church did. Now I want you to think about something. And I want you to think about the fact that, you know, how, how does this whole thing go together and how does it all fit? If you're here today and you are a follower of the Most High God, I want you to think ahead in your mind to a, to a point in time that hasn't happened yet, okay? It's a little imagination thing here, okay? It's a Saturday night, about 8 o'clock. And you're at home trying to catch the end of the Huskies game and somebody comes and knocks on your door and interrupts you. And you open the door and standing in front of you is a friend of yours. A friend who at one point in your life you just made the crazy idea to be bold to. And they're standing there and they're uncomfortable and they're kind of awkward and they say something like this. Hey, um, remember like a year ago when you invited me to church? And I came and I kind of sat there week after week and I pretended like I didn't care and like I didn't like what was going on. And, and that guy up front kept crying every week and talking about Jesus. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I gave my heart to Jesus. And I just wanted to stop by. Thank you for being bold. And I was wondering something. Next weekend, they're doing this thing called baptism. And I was wondering if you were busy at 10 o'clock in the morning and had a pair of shorts and a towel because they said I could bring along with me the person who had pointed me towards Jesus, and that would be you. So I was just wondering if you didn't have anything going on. If you'd come and baptize me. 
that should be the dream and the goal of every single person inside of this room. You got to see it happen this morning. When's your turn? You know, it's funny. I talked to the guy whose sister prayed for him for 60 years and his grandniece led him to Jesus. You know, I talked to him. How do you feel about the fact that they were bold? You know what was amazing to me? He was not angry at them. Yeah, it just kind of ticked me off. He just kind of threw my whole life upside down. I didn't hear that come out of his mouth. You know what I heard? I'm so grateful that my sister was bold in her prayer and that my grandniece was bold in her witness. And we are here today. They're not angry. They're grateful. So church, if you haven't got the point, I'm done, but I'm going to finish with two words. Be bold. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, would you help us to be bold? I thank you for those who were bold in their baptism today. I pray that we would be bold in serving each other and loving one another. Lord, I pray that we would be bold in our prayer. God, thank you for a sister who was bold enough to pray for 60 years. Lord, help us to be bold in our conversation, bold in our opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. God, would you help us to be bold in our opportunities? Lord, in a few moments, as we give back to God our tithes and offerings, I pray that we be bold in our generosity and bold in our worship. I thank you for today and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.